Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. We're advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, and research. Welcome to AUKUS Amplified, the podcast series brought to you by the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. This is one of seven podcasts highlighting a few of the many outstanding papers presented at the 30th annual meeting of the association, including the award papers. My name is Stefano Bini. I am on faculty at UCSF, and I am the chair of the Digital Health and Social Media Committee at AUKUS. I'll be joined as co-host by Jamie Ballamy. She's at the Womack Army Medical Center in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Thank you for joining me, Jamie. Thanks for having me. The title of the paper we're highlighting today is Spinal Fusion and Total Hip Arthroplasty, Why Timing is Important. It's paper number 39. We're joined by Nikwisha Mohammed, MD, the lead author of the paper, and Dr. Ronald Delanois, retired Lieutenant Colonel, who's the senior author in the paper. Welcome. Thank you. Thank it's you. great to be Thank here. Glad to be here. Awesome. So, Jamie, you've been studying this paper. You've been looking at this space. Why don't we let you take it from here a little bit and talk about the paper itself? Okay, Dr. Mohammed, can you please tell us why you were interested in getting into this topic? Out of all the topics that are out there, what inspired you to focus on this specific one? Well, I've attended AUKUS a couple years previously, and there's always a session on the relationship between the hip and the spine. And as a budding orthopedic surgeon, I recognize that this is going to be something that I'll be coming across in my practice. And I wanted to quantify what the relationship is between the two procedures. And if I were to perform a THA on somebody who had a fusion, what risks am I looking at? And I just found the literature hadn't really given me a good answer on the complications to expect when one was performed first versus the other. So having this large data set that we acquired, I said, you know what, let's try and answer this question and put it out there for all the other arthroplasty and spinal surgeons to know. Okay, that's great. Can you tell us a little bit about the hip-spine relationship? So hip-spine syndrome, as we know it, is a degenerative disease in both the lumbar spine and in the hip. Both of those can be treated fairly accurately with a lumbar spinal fusion and total hip arthroplasty. And they usually do get treated fairly well. You don't have problems. But when you put them together in those patients that need to have both, there has been an increased incidence of complications noted, specifically such as dislocations and hip revisions. And so for those patients that need to have both procedures, we want to make sure we're doing the best job that we can for them and optimizing their outcomes. And unfortunately, they have suffered slightly under both of these procedures. So I just wanted to understand that better and get more information on how we treat this. Okay. Dr. Delanois, as a senior author on this paper, how does this topic relate to the rest of your research? So, well, I have several areas of interest. Obviously, this is a very important interest, but one of my biggest interests is bundle payment, cost of care, and where we're headed in terms of healthcare. And as we look at patient selection, and as we're being measured by CMS from our complications and our readmissions and our patient satisfaction and how that impacts payment, it's really important for us to understand our patients multifactorially. 
So deciding on which procedure to do first, very similarly, we've done this in the past. When people had knee arthritis and hip arthritis, someone published and looked at and said, which one should we do first? And they said, we should do hips first, knees second. Because if we did knees first and hips second, the knees didn't do as well. And that was from a functional perspective. In terms of this paper, when we asked Nakwisha to look at it, when she actually came to me and said, I want to look at this project, we said, which one should we do first? And that's a great question because we've all had those patients who have both spine issues and hip issues. And so the question is, should they get their hip operated on first or should they get their back operated on first? Should they get their decompression and potential fusion? And we know AUKUS has been very forthright and forward in thinking as it pertains to spine and hip related complications and how to address them intraoperatively with either navigation or other modalities. So the question becomes, is there, before we get to that level, which one should we do first? So that's where Nikwisha came in and kind of took this project by the horns and kind of ran with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. Dr. Muhammad, if you can just go through how the study was designed and why you all decided to design it in that way. Well, the study is a matched cohort design using a very large database, the Pearl Diver data set. We acquired this recently and it's one of the most robust that you can use to conduct these kinds of studies. You don't get the kind of numbers that you get in this database at an institutional level. And so we wanted to do something the literature hasn't really done, which is match the fusion first patients to the THA first patients and compare them on their outcomes just to make sure that whatever differences there are, we could quantify and see if there is really a higher incidence of dislocation or revision in one procedure or the other. And so what we did is we went through the Pearl Diver database, we pulled out the demographics, so age, sex, CCI level, and we matched our patients based on those demographics, pulling out about 4,500 in each group. And from there, we looked at the post-operative complications. There's a lot that we went through just to be complete, but essentially really want to look at the revisions and dislocations. And compared them directly to see which one had a higher incidence. Okay. Can you discuss the power analysis of the paper? So for the power of this study, we consulted a statistician expert and they assured us that the numbers that we were working with were sufficient, more than sufficient to adequately explain the differences that we found. Okay. And tell us about the results of your study. What are the key findings that people can take away from what you found? The key finding was really that it was dislocations that was higher in the fusion first cohort. We didn't really see a difference in revisions nor in any of the other complications, but specifically dislocations occurred more in the patients that got their fusion first compared to the patients that had their THA first. Okay, one last question, Dr. Mohammed. Can you just give us your main conclusion that you got from the study? When looking at the results of fusion patients having more dislocations than the THA first patients, for me, the takeaway would be that we should really be doing the THA first. 
And I know that can be a little controversial, but I do think that it's something to consider. And really what should happen is spine surgeons and arthroplasty surgeons should collaborate with each other if they know this patient is gonna need both operations and work collaboratively to ensure the best outcomes for the patient because every patient is different and what may be best for the majority may not be right for your specific patient. But for me, I think the biggest takeaway is that I would say do the hip first. Dr. Delamont. I would like to know kind of what your thoughts are on as far as collaboration with spine colleagues and if you are doing that prior to these more difficult cases. So I will be honest with you. I never used to collaborate with my spine colleagues as it pertains to the order of the operations. Now I will because what I do see in my practice is that my dislocation rate is higher in patients who've had had prior fusions versus more so than in patients who have a hip replacement and then have subsequent fusion. So what Nequisha has highlighted is what I have seen in my practice. I recognize that that is a difference from what people believe is the case. But the explanation for that is what I believe is that once you fuse the pelvis, you have significantly altered the pelvic hip anatomy and you're having more risk at the hip itself, and thus they have early dislocations because the hip capsule is not reformed. When you have that hip replacement done first and then have the spinal fusion performed, they probably still have some element of motion within their back, which is why they have back pain and back issues. They are able to form that hip capsule, reform that defined joint, and then when they undergo a spine fusion, even though now the mechanics have been changed and the forces across the hip are greater, you now have an additional barrier to dislocation. So for me, I think that this paper is really important because I do think we should be doing our hip replacements prior to the spinal fusion for that risk of dislocation. Because we know in tomorrow's healthcare that it will matter. Readmissions, surgeries within 90 days, All these factors will impact how we as orthopedic surgeons, we as joint surgeons are going to be viewed and compensated potentially. This is really fascinating discussion and a very, very topical one. It's also so interesting, Dr. Mohammed, that you pulled out an outcome that is a little contrary to the way we've been thinking about this. I think a lot of other folks may be suggesting that you fuse the spine first so you know what the acetabulum winds up in space, and then you can adjust the position of your component to match that new position of the pelvis. What you're suggesting is, well, you know, that's great, but If you look at the data, that's not the way it plays out. So the next question for us all is going to figure out how to get these two data sets, these two conclusions to marry, to educate our thinking. And I think, Ron, what you just pointed out here, this idea that we should be collaborating closer with our spine colleagues, I think that's one that it's a really good message to take home so that as we look at these very difficult patients, I think Dr. Bellamy, you told me earlier that you've had some experience with this. Yeah, in fact, I didn't pay too much attention to the lumbar spine when I was initially starting my practice. And then this year, I actually had a patient, my first, I do direct the interior total hip replacements and the dislocation rate is very low. And so I had my first dislocation and I went back and looked and the patient had a spinal fusion and their back on the lateral x-ray was completely flat and 
So it explained a lot to me. And so now I'm really paying attention to the literature that's coming out about this topic and really I'm going to change the way that I practice as far as getting more preoperative imaging of the lumbar spine, talking with my spine colleagues prior to doing this. And that was another question I wanted to ask Dr. Delenwall if he adjusts his approach to the hip for these patients and if he changes his bearings as far as maybe using dual mobility for these types of patients. So that's a great question and it's a complex answer. So I do use dual mobility in my practice. If I believe they have significant rigidity in their lumbar spine, I'm not confident that even if I get a sitting, standing, and various x-rays on my patient and try to determine using navigation, the placement of the acetabular component, that the patient isn't still at increased risk, we haven't looked at that yet, right? So the newer population is saying, if we get better imaging and really use navigation to really calculate where the right cup placement is, that we truly have impacted the dislocation rate in these complicated patients. So with that being said, to reduce that risk, I'll add in a dual mobility construct to help me with my dislocation rate. And I've been happy with that. So when I have a patient who has a prior spinal fusion, especially one that extends into the sacrum, which for me tells me that the patient has poor motion, they're going to do a lot of motion from their hip joint themselves. And so on those patients, I will almost always use a dual mobility in conjunction with potentially navigation. Dr. Bellamy, I think we've hit a lot of really interesting thoughts. I love that you brought up the fact that that hip dislocation was an anterior hip. I think there's a bit of a belief on behalf of the anterior hip surgeons and frankly, even the posterior lateral surgeons that take down the trochanter or the gluteus medius attachments, that they're somewhat protected from dislocation in patient spinal fusion and take a little bit, perhaps a slightly cavalier approach to it. And in reality, no, it impacts all of us, regardless of how we approach a hip and should take this problem into consideration as we treat our patients. And also loved what you said, Dr. Delanois, about the fact that our patients do bring to the table multiple issues at the same time. And I think Dr. Mohammed pointed out as well that these folks need to be considered as a whole, right? And it's not just a hip, it's not just a knee, the hip, the knee, and the spine connected. And we need to think all three of those things together collaboratively. With that, I want to thank the three of you. And in particular, Lieutenant Colonel Delanois, Lieutenant Colonel Bellamy, and Dr. Mohammed, whose husband is also in the military, on behalf of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons, and I believe everybody listening, we want to thank you three for your service and that of your families in, uh, in support of our country. Thank you. Thank you. With that, I'd like to close the podcast, thank everyone for participating, and invite our audience to listen to our next podcast in this series. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit aahks.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, and investigate in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.